0: Uh, Will you join me in praying as we come to the word this morning? Lord Jesus, we come to you yet again this morning, asking for you to move on our behalf. Would you, through your Holy Spirit, God, just move in our midst as we come to your word this morning. May you do your transforming work. We come seeking you. May we find you this morning. And may you do what only you can do. Lord, all that I have to offer is the best that I have to offer, and that's not enough. We need to meet with you. We need to hear from you. We need to see you high and lifted up this morning. So come, I pray, God. Do what only you can do. May you increase and I decrease this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're continuing through uh, the book of Mark uh, and we find ourselves in Jesus' last week of earthly ministry leading up to the cross. Uh, so this is that final passion week it's often referred to. Uh, and, and Jesus is at a spot now where he's doing some public teaching and he's had different people. It's kind of a Q&A session is what it's turned into. And people have come up and asked questions and his responses. Uh, and we're looking at a third Uh, in a series of three that kind of happened back to back to back. We've looked at the previous two earlier. Now we're looking at the third one. Uh, And it starts with this. One of the scribes approached, Mark chapter 12, verse 28. One of the scribes approached when he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Okay, so this guy, just kind of from the crowd, he's a scribe, we'll get into what a scribe is here in a little bit. He sees what's going on, that there's kind of this debate happening, that people asking Jesus questions and Jesus responding. And it says, when he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well, he came up and he asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Now, let's kind of recap a little bit the debate that has been happening up to this point. The two previous interactions where people came and asked Jesus questions were religious leaders attempting to entrap Jesus, attempting to, to ask him unanswerable questions, lose-lose type questions so that they could overcome him. First, we have the, the Pharisees and the Herodians. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. These two groups that normally were enemies with each other, but said, hey, let's, let's band together to overcome Jesus. We hate him even more than we hate each other. And so they came and they asked him a trick question. Is is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? And it was this whole thing getting into, is it wrong to to say that Caesar is like our king? Because shouldn't God be our king? And if we pay taxes, that's that's calling Caesar our king. But if we don't, we're then rebelling against the king. And there was these factions and it was this lose-lose thing. Then they ask Jesus trying to trap him. Next, the the Sadducees, this other religious leading party, come up and they ask Jesus this question about the resurrection. It's kind of this riddle that's never really happened, but they kind of go through this whole thing. This guy marries a wife and he dies and his six brothers marry the same woman and they all die with no kids. In the resurrection, whose wife is she going to be, Jesus? And it's kind of this, this riddle that they're trying to trap him with. And Jesus, to both the Pharisees, both the Sadducees, he just kind of brushes them aside. He says, I see what you're doing. To the Pharisees, he says, why are you trying to, to, to test me like this? To the Sadducees, he just kind of clubs them over the head and goes, let me tell you why you're in error. I'm not even gonna deal with your little riddle right now. We'll get to that in a minute, but let me tell you what you're missing. And he, he just kind of roasts these people right in front of the crowds And so now you have a scribe, a scribe that was kind of a lawyer at the time, another religious leading group comes up and asks Jesus another question. And actually the question that he asked Jesus is potentially the most explosive of all three. The first one had to deal with government and how do we submit to authority. The next one was kind of on this theological end times kind of thing. This guy comes and goes, hey, the most sacred thing we have as Jews the Mosaic law, the Torah, the thing that we have built our entire life and culture around, there's 613 laws in it. Which one's the most important? People in the crowd, like you could almost hear them go, oh, don't touch it. This is dangerous. There's 613 laws, which means every, if we had 613 people in here and you asked them which one's the most important, you'd probably get 613 different answers. And this guy comes, he he just watches it all happen and he steps up and just lobs this grenade into the crowd. If you're in the crowd, think of how you're expecting Jesus to respond. You've just watched him just completely roast the other groups that have come up and tried to trick him. And now you see a scribe, a lawyer come up and just toss this grenade in. Let's see how Jesus responds to him. Verse 29, this is the most important, Jesus answered. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. When the crowd heard the response, they had to go, wait, what? He, he's just answering them? He just gave like a plain, straightforward, straightforward, Like, Jesus was kind of the artful Dodger at times. And he could weave and work his way through questions to get to the heart of what was there. So this man comes and asks a potentially incendiary question. And Jesus just answers him straight up. No guile, no like, hey, let's kind of sidestep the answer. Here's the most important. And actually, it's a buy one, get one sale. I'll give you the second as well. The the crowd had to be kind of going, wait. Wait. He was so mad at the other ones. He, he, he overcame the other ones. Why this one did he just say, great question. Here's my answer. They, they would have had to kind of be taken a step back going, wait. But remember, all of the other ones were, were challenging Jesus' authority. They were trying to overcome Jesus. But Jesus saw something different in this man. Something the crowd most likely would have missed. They thought he was just another religious leader coming to challenge the authority of Jesus. But Jesus saw something different in this man. It reminds me, there's a a story in the Old Testament uh, when King David is being anointed as king. Uh, Samuel was a prophet at the time, and, and God spoke to Samuel, and he said, hey, our current king is doing a really bad job. I've already told him he's not gonna be king much longer. I want you to anoint a new king. And this guy named Jesse has a whole bunch of sons. One of his sons is it. And so Samuel goes to Jesse and he says, hey, God said one of your sons is gonna be king. I've never met any of them. Can you kind of like introduce me? And so Jesse starts introducing his sons one at a time. It's kind of this parade. They start with the oldest and work their way down. And every one of them, Samuel sees, it says in the scripture that he looks at him and he goes, God, look at this guy. He's huge. He's a mountain of a man. He looks like a warrior. Certainly this is the king that you have chosen. And God says, nope, this isn't the one. Oh, all right. He says, he has seven sons, one down. Let's try the next one. And they just keep going through son by son by son. And at some point, Samuel's kind of a little exasperated and going, God, what are you doing? Look at all the candidates that have gone. They're kind of getting smaller as we go. What are you doing? And this is what the Lord says to Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or his stature, because I have rejected him. Man does not see what the Lord sees, for man sees what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. This was in picking a king, and so they ended up picking a a 16 year old boy that he says is ruddy and small. And Samuel's going, Wait, he's the king? not the warriors that have come before, like, what? And God's going, trust me, I know his heart. And I think of kind of a parallel here when Jesus, the crowds had to be looking and going, how come you're not just destroying this guy? He's just like the rest, isn't he? And Jesus doesn't say it, but you can almost see it in his reaction going, there's something different with this one. He doesn't get the, well, why are you testing me? Or let me tell you what's wrong with you before we even get into your answer. He just gets a straight, plain, forward answer because Jesus saw something different in him. Here's what Jesus saw. Mark chapter 12, verse 32 and 33. Jesus answers his question. Most important, uh, listen to Israel. God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher, You have correctly said he is one. And there was no one else except him. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. This guy didn't, remember the rest of them, they were trying to divide and conquer, divide the people to conquer Jesus. This man came truly seeking truth. And he found it, plainly given Sometimes we kind of think that God's really good at playing hide-and-go-seek, and and unless you have the perfect formula and you ask the right way, standing on one foot on this specific day, you know, you got to work real hard to find him. What we see here is when this man came just truly seeking, he found. He came. There wasn't guile. He wasn't trying to entrap or ensnare Jesus. He saw that Jesus was answering these men wisely, And he said, maybe he can answer my question too. And he came truly seeking. Again, he was a scribe, which meant a lawyer. This man knew the law inside and out. Your bull just gored somebody else's servant? Well, here is the specific sacrifice that has to happen in that. He would have known it. Oh, wait, this is a second offense? Okay, it ups the ante. Now this has to happen. He he understood the law. It was his entire job. And you could almost hear in him coming to Jesus and going, look, hey, there's 613, it's too much. I can't do it. Can, can, you, can we sum it up? <laughs> Maybe I could handle one. Which one's the most important? I can't, even me, a lawyer, a scribe, a leader in Israel, it's too much. Is there just one that I can focus on? He came humbly seeking, and he was met with plain truth. There's a principle at play here that James, Jesus' brother, uh, puts down in James chapter 4. He said, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What we've seen in the previous interactions is proud men coming and trying to show how dumb Jesus is and how wrong he is and make him look like a fool in the, the court of public opinion. And Jesus slaps him down. And then we see a man humbly coming and asking what is potentially the most difficult question. And he's received. And he's answered plainly. He seeks truth and he finds it. Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen, God speaking to the nation of Israel and he tells them, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. When you come humbly, truly seeking after God, he promises you'll find me. You don't have to play the game. I'm not hard to find. I actually want to be found by those who truly want to find me. Everyone else was trying to use Jesus to meet their ends. This man simply comes going, I don't know where to turn. Which one? What's what's the greatest? Help me focus this thing in, Jesus. Jesus gives him a plain answer. And again, you see the, the humility in his response. You have answered right, teacher. You've correctly said it. This is worth more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. So Jesus responds to him. When Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And no one dared to question him any longer. The crowd is like going, we don't know what to expect. We thought this was going to be a debate where they came and it was all just like fire being thrown back and forth. And then Jesus quietly answers this humble guy's question. We don't know what to expect anymore. No one would dare to to question him anymore. It says, when Jesus saw that he answered intelligently, uh, this word intelligently is also translated in other places, wisely or sensibly. It wasn't going, he, he had such an educated answer. His answer was so well studied and thought out. He was just answering plainly and sensibly. He wasn't arguing with Jesus. He just said the the most intelligent thing anyone can say. You're right, teacher. The the, the thing that you just said is, is absolutely right. He answered intelligently. He was seeking after truth and he knew it when he saw it. Again, Jesus didn't give him a whole bunch of hoops to jump through. He came humbly seeking truth. And when he saw it, he went, there it is. That's right. That is better than literally every other law we have put together. That trumps all of them, which could have been seen as a heretical statement. But this man came seeking Jesus, and when he found him, he just threw up his hands. You got it. How could I argue with that? That beats everything. He reads it better than I do on the Bible app, so whoever's got that going, that guy's got a good voice. And Jesus responds to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You are not far. He doesn't say, you made it. Welcome in. There, there's one spot where Jesus is on the cross and there's, there's a thief next to him and he says, when you enter paradise, remember me. And Jesus says, This day, you're in. You've made it. There's one guy that Jesus tells that to. This guy, Jesus goes, man, you're not far. You're close. And you can almost hear implied, keep coming. That's the right answer, but right answers aren't enough. See, one of the dangers uh, that we have in our Western Christianity is you can turn Christianity into a purely intellectual endeavor. Here's the truth of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God begins with right thinking, but it doesn't end there. This man got the right answer. Jesus, you're right. To love the Lord your God with everything you have and to love your neighbor as yourself, that trumps everything. That's the most important. You're absolutely right. And Jesus says, the kingdom's not far, but keep coming. You have right thinking. And that is the first step, but don't get tricked. It's not the final step. You can go to a lot of churches. You can read a lot of books. You can watch a lot of sermons online and you can come away with the message that if you just think rightly, you've got the kingdom. Everything is good. That's not the truth that we find in scripture. What we find is right thinking is the beginning, but it is not the end. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter four, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Missouri in in America is the show me state. The kingdom is the show me state. Man, you can talk a good talk. You can answer the right answers. And that's good. That's the starting place. You, You can't move forward until you have right understanding. I don't want to skip that. But right understanding is not the end and of itself. Show me the power. Show me the transformation. Show me a a transformed family and community because of what you believe. That's the kingdom at work. Show me how your life has been transformed, not only made a little better, changed from one thing into a completely other thing because of what you know. And Paul would say, that's the kingdom. Not of talk, but of power. Right thinking put into action. James, again, Jesus' brother in chapter one, says this, but be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man looking at, himself, looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not forgetful hearer, but one who does good works, this person will be blessed in what he does. The the one who, who perseveres in the law of freedom doesn't just say the one who understands it the most and then sits back and relaxes, but the one who actually takes hold of it and moves forward through hardship and struggle, but the one who perseveres He will be blessed in all that he does. And and James uses this this phrase, the perfect law of freedom. Paul, over in Galatians chapter 6, refers to the same thing and he calls it the law of Christ. And actually, what they're referring to is Jesus' response to this lawyer the overarching law of the kingdom. In God's kingdom, there's two rules love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Everything else is just how those rules play out. These are the, the perfect law of freedom, the law of Christ. These are the rules in the kingdom. In the Old Testament, in Israel, there was 613 of them, and you had to know exactly what day and in what circumstance and what offering, and you had to bring it in the right way and wear the right clothes. and there was all of these hoops. In the new kingdom, he said, "Let me simplify. There's two rules. Because here's the thing, when there's 613 rules, there's also 613 loopholes. That's the thing, the the more laws abound, the more loopholes abound. And we can find ways around it. And that's what the religious leaders were known for. When Jesus sums it up and he goes, let me give you the new law in the kingdom. Love the Lord your God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. There's no more room for loopholes. There's no more room for escape. I'm either loving God with everything or I'm not. I'm either loving my neighbor as myself or I'm not. These are the perfect law of freedom, the law of Christ. Matthew's version puts Jesus' teaching like this. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus is going, let me sum up the entire Old Testament for you. Love God with everything you have, love your neighbor as yourself. Everything else you've ever heard hangs on those two things. Do those, you've done the law. Fail at those, you failed at the law. This is the new law in the kingdom of God. So again, we're gonna read what James said again. And when you hear the perfect law of freedom, think in your head, love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. That is the law of the kingdom But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom, love God, love people, and perseveres in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but one who does good works, this person will be blessed in what he does. Jesus' invitation was always follow me. Not follow me on Twitter, like and retweet from afar, but walk with me, act like me, become like me. Not just knowing the right answer is to love God and love people, but actually loving God and loving people. There's an often partially quoted teaching of Jesus that goes like this. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, right? So what sets you free? Knowing the truth, right? Half true. Here's the whole teaching of Jesus. John 8, 31 and 32. To the Jews who had believed in him... Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching and are really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So what actually set him free? Holding to his teaching, putting it into action, as James would say, persevering in it, being his disciples, his followers. Can you imagine if they were walking down the road one time and Jesus is walking with his boys and Peter just sits down. You know, they'd get a couple paces away. Pete, what's going on? You got a rock in the sandal? What's, what's happening? Jesus, I think I'm good. I figured it out. The, the whole thing, the sower and the seeds, I got it. I understand it. The mustard seed thing, the pearl and the treasure in the field, I got it. I could teach your sermons. I understand them. I got them. Well, what are you doing? That's all I need, Jesus. I'm just going to sit here for the rest of it. Jesus would be like, no, 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 Peter. I didn't say come and like learn some information, I said, follow me, walk with me, be like me, do what I do. Not just learn and understand, put it into action. That is what it is to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus is actually turning on his head a little bit. He goes, the only way to truly understand What I'm teaching is to apply it. If you don't apply it, you don't really understand it. And you can't be set free like that. Hear it, put it into action. And in doing so, you will know my truth in a way like you can't any other way. And you will be set free. So let's look a little closer at this teaching of Jesus again. This is kind of asking... Uh, who's asking the question and, and how Jesus responds to him, but I don't want to skip over the actual teaching. Mark 12, this is the most important, Jesus answered. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. This is the new law of the land. This is kingdom principle number one. It's up to that point where you miss this one, you miss the kingdom. You get this one, you get the kingdom. It's that pivotal. This supersedes and encapsulates all other commands. 613 replaced by two, the law of Christ. Understand, the rest of the New Testament is simply how do we apply this rule that Jesus has given Love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. Everything else in here is just in this situation. Here's how you love each other. In this dark place, here's how you love God and find your hope and joy and peace in him. The rest of the New Testament is just how do we apply the two simple commands that Jesus has given us. Simple to grab hold of, not simple to live out. We will all spend the rest of our lives trying and many times failing to live these out but this is the call of the believer. This is the only law in the kingdom. Love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. The rest is details. So let's ask this question. Let's talk. I'm not the only one that the Holy Spirit can speak to or through. Let's take a moment and learn from each other. What does it practically look like to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? We know it, we can quote it. What does it actually look like? If it's this hard to answer, we might be in real trouble. Somebody start us off. What's it look like? Okay, everyday relationship with them. First of all, is just even recognizing that kingdom life is happening every day. And every day I'm being called into loving relationship with him. That means it's not just a decision I made one time at camp when I was 13, right? It keeps going. Every day, this is the call to love him. It starts with that. Maverick? You do whatever he tells you to. To love the king means to obey the king, to do whatever the king tells you. How do you know what he tells you? Listen, what does it look like to listen? Okay, prayer. We believe that God is still speaking to his people today. Just just as he told Samuel back in the Old Testament, you know, look, Samuel, here's my plan. You're looking at the thing man looks at. I'm looking at the heart. Trust me on this one, Samuel that in the same way God still speaks to his people today. Are we praying? Are we actually having conversation with him? To love him with our heart, with our mind, actually engaging with him and listening when he responds? How else do we listen? How else do we hear what it is we're supposed to obey? (laughs) It's kind of a big one. I left it here open for a reason. Reading the Bible, all right? Listen, is reading the Bible the end of being a Christian? Just do that and you're fine. No, but much like the right thinking part, you can't think rightly until he's taught you to think rightly. Somebody once said, this is the vocabulary of the Holy Spirit. No time in the word, no voice from God. Are we spending time there, loving him with our mind and with our heart? God, showed, We prayed the, one of my favorite prayers this morning from Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What's the first way that happens? We run our life through the grid of scripture. Lord, what doesn't match up? What in my thinking is different from your thinking? Now change me, God, make me like you. What in the way I view my world is not the way you view my world. Change me, God, make me like you. It can't happen apart from this. What else? What else? What does it practically look like to love God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength? Yeah, think about it. The, the intelligent response that the man gave, it was simple but profound. "You're right, teacher." Even if the man came in thinking one of the other laws was the most important, what he heard from Jesus, he, said, he acknowledged, "You're right." He didn't argue, he wasn't debating, he wasn't like the other ones. He just came in and humbly, you're right. He could have almost asked the question this way. uh, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And whatever you say, I'm going to believe. Before you even speak, I'm already going to acknowledge you're right. Now lead me. Because I love you with everything I have. How do we love God with all of our heart? Heart, back then, was actually a... uh, a more exact interpretation in scripture, anytime you read the word heart, uh, would actually be bowels, guts. What it meant was the deepest part inside of me. Now in English, that's what your heart represents. I love them with all my heart. But from, from the deepest parts of me, they would have went, wait, where's the center? What's behind the belly button? That's like the deepest part of me with my guts, my bowels, to love God with the deepest parts of you. What does that look like? Again, this is, this is command one and two. We've got to get these right. Mm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. What, what about the times when my emotions are lying to me? and saying, which is completely unbiblical, God's mad at me and wants nothing to do with me right now because he's disappointed in me. You will not find that in the scriptures. We feel it. Again, we feel it deep down with our inmost being that has to be true because that's the way that I would treat me. But what he says is true first, and I'm his son, and I've been adopted in, and I'm forgiven, and I'm, I'm more valuable than everything else to him. I'm going to choose to trust that over my feelings. Again, the deepest parts of the uncontrollable parts of me. You ever tried when you're angry, just turning it off, not feeling angry anymore? Makes you angry, doesn't it? Why doesn't it just work? We have very little actual control over our emotions. The things that we we tie together with our heart, with the deepest part of us but I'm going to choose to love you with that. And so even when my emotions are contrary to what you say, even when I don't feel like singing, I'm going to sing anyway because I'm choosing to love you with the deepest parts of me. What does it look like to love God with your mind? Okay. The Apostle Paul talks about this practice of taking every thought captive and making it obedient to Christ. The, the very thoughts that he would have, he would run through this grid. He would go, whoop, hold on. Jesus, is that thought from you? This desire that I have, this belief that I have, whatever it is, did, did that come from you? If not, make it obedient. I want every thought I have to be like your thought. There, there's a couple times in scripture where it's referred to, we're told to have the mind of Christ, to think as he thinks, to see as he sees. And so learning to take those thoughts captive and go, wait, 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 I have a question about this one. Jesus, is this from you or is this one from me? Because if it's from me, it's not going anywhere good. Make it obedient to you. Make my mind like your mind. Romans chapter 12 says that we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. The more time we spend with him in his presence, in his word, in prayer, and stillness and silence, some of these disciplines Kim was talking about earlier, The more our minds become renewed, made new, and our lives become transformed. Soul. Soul's a tough one for us. In our very Western culture, we don't deal a whole lot with the soul. I'm gonna just very simply equate it here with everything else, with everything, with my eternity with all of the things that are out of my control. Am I loving him with that? I trust you, Jesus, with my everything. I have no idea what happens in this life, but I trust you. Uh, You guys know the old song, it is well with my soul. No matter what's happening in this life, no matter how hard it is, no matter how, how little of it I understand, I find peace in the fact that I know that it is well with my soul. You've taken care of me My my eternal being, you hold in your hands and I can trust you with it. And that should begin to shape our lives. What can this world do to me? I mean, we heard the stories earlier from the Voice of Martyrs update, uh, pastors being imprisoned, being uh, kidnapped, Uh, this woman having everything taken from her and being taken home and tried to force to be married to this man. In those times, if those people can't say, it is well with my soul, They have no hope. They're just going to look around and go, everything in life sucks right now. I've got moldy rice, these two guys watching me all the time. I can't speak to anyone. I'm being poorly treated. What is their hope? It's well with my soul. I love him that much that I trust him with all of that. And those people have a a greater opportunity to experience the kingdom than most of us will know in, in a more comfortable life. We don't have to practice trusting God with our soul that often. Let's look at the last one. What does it look like to love the Lord your God with all your strength? Right? Who is this woman? Yeah. What does it look like to love the Lord your God with all your strength? Having endurance. Okay. What else? We can quote this verse all the time, and that happens regularly. Actually putting feet to it is harder. Our our denomination has a core value uh, that they call stewardship, and it goes like this. Everything we have belongs to God. We're only stewards of it. A steward is somebody who takes care of what belongs to the master. I've been put in charge for a minute until the master comes back. I'm just keeping his seat warm. Everything we have, which we would refer to as our strengths, Some of us, it's physical strength. Some of us, it's intellectual. Some of us, like, man, you just understand financial workings or whatever it may be. Those things that we look at and we go, that's a strength of mine. How am I using it to love God? Lord, you have given me this strength. I'm a decently big guy. I can carry decently heavy things. Okay, God, you've made me big. Why? How do you want to use my strength? Lord, you've given us this home. How do you want to use this? It's yours anyway. You've given us these finances. You've given me this keen mind. How do you want to use it? It's yours anyway. Whatever in my life I would call a strength to love God with it is to recognize it's his anyway. It came from him, and one day it goes back to him. How do you want to use it? Rule one in the kingdom, heart, mind, soul, strength, it's all his. Jesus, how are you calling me to love you with it today? And here's the thing. Here's what he's going to lead us to most often. And the second is like it. The first, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it. The second commandment. Matthew uses that term, the second is like it. And it's so important because what it actually means is the second is the same in kind, in power, and in importance. These two things are inseparable. You can't do one without doing the other. The second is like it. It's on the same level. Love your neighbor as yourself. When you begin asking God, what does it look like to love you with everything I have? There's gonna be some times when he says those disciplines, sit and be still, just spend time with me. Spend time in my word. You know what? I love it when you sing. Sing songs to me. There's gonna be those things that are, man, just you and Jesus, And those are special and those are important. But the thing you're gonna hear the most is here's how you love me with everything you have. Love your neighbor as yourself. I have given all of this to you and now I'm calling you to love others on my behalf. To love your neighbor as yourself. We struggle with this because we live in a me and Jesus culture. As long as you just read your Bible periodically, I'll be honest, most people don't even believe you don't even need to come gather together if it works out great but I mean, there's always something that comes up on a Sunday, and so it's not a big deal. You don't really need them anyway, because it's just you and Jesus. As long as you and Jesus are cool, everything's fine. As long as you read your Bible now and again, and you're a pretty good person, you're fine. And what Jesus says is, look, the way that you love others, the way that you, uh, I always think of Isaiah 58, he says, when you spend yourself on behalf of the needy, the way you spend what I've given you on behalf of others, is directly tied to loving me and walking with me. We try to separate them and make them two different things. I'm pretty good at loving God, but loving people, eh, not as much. If the overflow of loving God isn't loving people, you're not loving God. And if you're trying to love people on your own without deep, abiding, passionate love for God, you will fail by Tuesday because it's hard. It's way too hard for you. You will meet the end of yourself. You will see your strength run out. You're unable, all of us, incapable. But when we first hold up our love for him, he will lead us to love others and he will empower us to love others. They're inseparable. The second is like it. Same in kind and magnitude and order. Love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. So let's talk practically, what does it look like to love your neighbor as yourself? We can quote it and we do often. What does it practically look like? Pastor Mark would always say, do for others what you like, you know? Yeah. Share what you like. You know, it would be pray for them and pray for yourself. Right. Pastor Mark, he he would pray. He liked apple pies. And he would pray, okay, Lord, if I like apple pie, my neighbor probably likes them too. So if I'm making one, I'm going to make a second and deliver it to somebody. Because if I like it, they probably like it too. I want to love them as I love myself. Okay? A a small example, but the idea, the mentality behind it. To love someone else as I wish someone would love me. To love my neighbor as myself. What does it look like? (sighs) Boy, you might have landed on the hardest one right off the bat, Garrett. To forgive. Do I want other people to forgive me? When I act in a way that is just, that I'm ashamed of, that was wrong, that was hurtful, that I told that lie, and man, I knew it was wrong, but I did it anyway. Do I want other people to forgive me? Is that something that I truly need in my life? Yeah. So what's God calling me to do? Forgive others. To love them in the same way I want someone to love me. What else? Yeah, when, when Jesus gave this command, and as we're talking about here this morning, I don't bring it up, and he didn't, to say, oh, and th- this won't even hurt at all. This is an easy one. Don't forget about it. This will cost. Sometimes it costs time. Sometimes it costs having to hear a story again that you've already heard, but, man, they just need somebody to tell it to, and so here I am. The, the, the key to this question is empathy. Empathy asks the question, if I were in their shoes, what would I want? Uh, one of the the biggest head scratchers that everyone has is in Elkins here, we have a homeless population. We have a lot of people that are going hungry. There's a huge addiction problem. And we go, we want to love those people, but like, oh, that gets so messy. Because what if they ask me for money, but then they're going to use it for drugs? And then what if, and and we play this what if game and going, if I was in their shoes and I really wanted help and I really needed help, what would I want someone to do for me? Maybe it's just stop and go, hey, let me go get you a burger. That's what, I can, that's what I can offer right now. Maybe it's stopping and just talking. Let me hear your story. Maybe it's spending time with that neighbor. Maybe it's seeing uh, those neighborhood kids that you know just don't quite have the home life they should. And you invite them over for dinner so they can at least see what a real family is. Or a, who knows? It can go much further and become much more costly. I don't want to make light of it but simply asking the question, if I was in their shoes, how would I want someone to love me? Sometimes loving someone is telling them no or or speaking a a difficult truth to them. And it's not always pleasant and cozy. But we have been loved by God in an unfathomable way. And now he says, go love your neighbor as yourself. If you were in their shoes, how would you hope someone would walk with you? And we can't walk with everyone perfectly. And we don't have all the time or all the resources in the world. But the ones that God puts in our path, that when we have that opportunity to ask that question, if I was in their shoes, how would I hope someone would love me? And then to walk that out. To say no is, as James would say, to be a hearer of the word, but not to be a doer and to deceive ourselves. To love God is to love people. You cannot separate the two. I can't love God, but yeah, I don't have time to love people. I'm cutting off that relationship with him because that's what he's about. That's the mission he's on. And when I veer apart from it, I've separated. Love the Lord your God, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, A pastor named Derwin Gray says this about this, this command to love your neighbor as yourself. He says, one of the ways that you know you're growing in love for the other is the things that affect the other begin to affect you. So maybe it starts with that prayer. Lord, may the things that are affecting those around me begin to affect my heart. I've insulated myself. I've protected myself. I've escaped whenever those feelings come up of like, oh man, what what are they going through? I've, I've found a way to turn it off and to go somewhere else. Lord, may what affects my neighbors, what affects the other begin to affect me too as if I was in their shoes with them. May it affect my life to that degree where I, I'm compelled, I have to do something. The love of Christ compels me to love my neighbor. I'll end with this. Uh, uh, pastor, well-known Pastor Andy Stanley, uh, teaching on this same idea and this, this idea of a new rule in the kingdom, a singular rule, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. This is the new rule for the kingdom. And a question that he's begun to ask and challenge people to ask is when they walk through their every day, instead of going, okay, what do, I have, what do I have to give to this person? What can I afford to give to this person? Time, money, energy, whatever it is. Instead asking a different question. What does love require of me? With this person that's right in front of me, instead of asking, how do I get out of here as quickly as possible without being rude? Asking the question, I've been commanded to love them What does love require of me right now? It's probably going to be sacrificial. It's probably going to be inconvenient, and it's going to hurt. But that's a kingdom question. Not how do I get out of here as quickly and painlessly as possible. What is love requiring of me right now? What does it require to love my neighbor as myself, to love the Lord my God with everything I have? That's a kingdom question that will completely change the lens you view life through for the better, And you will begin seeing God move in brand new and powerful ways as we obey the law of the kingdom. Love the Lord your God, heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, easy to teach, easy to memorize. We will all spend the rest of our lives, I pray, trying to live this out. We will stumble along the way. We will not know the right answer along the way. We will make a mess of things along the way. We will try to love our neighbor in our own strength along the way. And we will find you extending a hand to pick us up and call us further on the next day. You are right, teacher, in saying that to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and your neighbors, your Love your neighbor as yourself is better than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices that we could offer. You are right. May you lead us baby step by baby step to love you more and to love our neighbor as ourself more. Give us grace with ourselves when we fail along the way. Bring others along to speak encouraging words and to challenge us further on. But may we never give up because this is too hard. This is the call of the kingdom. This is the point of it all. To love you and to love those you've placed around us. May you be glorified and may your kingdom be advanced as we seek to follow you in this. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we close with a song?